We continue worshiping God this morning by coming to the Gospel of John in the first chapter beginning in the 12th verse. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And as we have seen his glory and glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the gospel of the Lord. So as we think about this text, I want to begin with the question. Maybe some of you have experienced this. Some of you have seen this, and maybe some of you have done this. You know the method of learning to swim where you just get thrown into the deep ends? Uh, Sometimes crying and a rescue plan ensues, right? And I promised JC we won't do that to you today in baptism. (laughs) But we sometimes get thrown in the deep end of life, it feels like, without knowing how to swim, doesn't it? It sometimes feels like we're just way over our head. God, in his promise, makes it possible for us to swim. You see, he doesn't just throw us into the deep end as we heard last week when God's people, after being exiled and separated from the presence of God for decades, then by his grace, he kept his promise and he brought them back. In Zerubbabel, you might recall last week, he built the altar. The foundation of the temple, the temple was being restored and this now... With God's people, they were now in the very presence of God. But they didn't, and God didn't, stop there. This week we discover as God now sends Ezra into their midst to bring before them not just the life preserver of salvation at the altar and God's presence in the temple, but to now know how to truly swim. He brings the word of God as God's scribe to be as James would talk about in the New Testament. Ezra and James would be good friends to be doers of the word. And why? Because as we understand from this text, they never want to go back to that time where they were separated from God's presence. Never back to the days of exile away from the community of God's people, away from God and his temple, apart from God's word, though we're warned by Ezra, we'll just float away. 
In fact, that was what one scholar called the besetting sin of God's people. A besetting sin is, and are those sins, you'll know it when I describe it, that we wrestle with and they just keep coming back at us and we need to keep bringing them back over and over again to God's table of grace, to God's offering of grace. The besetting sin for God's people, Israel, you could say, as the scholar did, was syncretism. That is that they synchronized their lives with the culture around them and the other gods and the other ways of worshiping. And because of that, because they departed from God's word and floated away from that promise of his presence and did their own thing, they were exiled from God for decades. And so Ezra comes to teach them to swim. Zerubbabel laid the foundation by God's leading of the temple and God's presence was there. But now we have the word of God. Ezra's name itself means the Lord has helped. And so God has come to help us and guide us with his word so that we don't float away, that we remain in his presence and his promise. A presence that will be sealed by the Holy Spirit this day in baptism for JC. A promise that God has promised for you and I. So what we hear in this book of Ezra and this series of Ezra and Nehemiah is God continuing to build up in us what he designs and desires. In fact, as you read the book of Ezra, this is a good place to pause for a moment and say, as you read through it, there might be some sections that are confusing because his deep desire, this text's deep desire is to proclaim a theological truth, a theological truth that's impossible apart from the word of God. Now there are words of history being relayed to us here as well, but at times you'll go from one paragraph to another section and, and there'll be 20 or 40 years in between. And so to capture some of that other history, you have to go to books like Haggai and Obadiah and Chronicles to catch up on some of that history. But remember, Ezra's chief purpose here is a theological one, not just to catch us up on history. And he is telling us that as the temple is built and God's presence there, we're now in God's presence. Now we need to come under his word. And his word is, does, as Luther would put it, does everything. Ezra brought them back to the word. A former truck driver, now Hebrew scholar and Lutheran pastor, Chad Bird, writes about this in one of his online devotions called Unveiling Mercy. And the devotion from uh, back in September takes us right back here into Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. And this is really the key verse in the chapter that helps us understand everything that will come next in Ezra and even in Nehemiah. As it tells us that Ezra's heart was set on the word of God. Chad Bird points out that word for set is, uh, at least in his devotion, the Hebrew word for the day, which is perfect for us today, derash. 
That word set is to care for, investigate, search out. Ezra's heart, which in Hebrew really means one's whole being. So Ezra's whole being was set on God's word to investigate, to care for it, to search it out. And that's what he invites us, that he invites God's people to be a part of. Unfortunately, sometimes we're accused of Christians of of not doing that. We're accused, like atheist Sam Harris writes in his book, accuses Christians who would otherwise, uh, as he would put it, be uh, thoughtful and thinking people in terms of uh, some manner of investigation or science. When it comes to God's word, he accuses us of saying that we require no evidence whatsoever. But this is not true. Notice the description of coming to God's word here. To care for it, to rush, investigate, search out. And so God faithfully and graciously gives us ways to investigate and search out his word with our mind and with history and archaeology. Even the, the testimony as Detective J. Warner Wallace, the cold case detective I introduced you to a couple of weeks ago, points out, he said, the, the case in history for, uh, against Christians as being anti-intellectual, which is what Sam Harris is accusing us of, just isn't true. The fruit of the Christian faith has been actually education. We see Pastors in history like Luther and Calvin advocating for literacy passionately. We see some of their students like Philip Melanchthon, Luther's colleague and friend, advocating for and the beginning of public education. Luther's translation of the, of the Bible into German became the foundation for studying the German language for generations. The first universities were established by Christians to do this very thing, to care for, to investigate, to search out the truth first in God's word and in all of his world. Places like Oxford and Yale and Princeton started out as Christian institutions seeking the truth. And so the accusation of being anti-intellectual is just the opposite of what we find in reality, that when you see the history of education, you see the church showing up and leading the way. We also see the evidence in history. I recently read about uh, from an archaeological expert, a Jewish uh, expert from the Negev, wrote this. He said that there are no archaeological findings that have countered the revelation and truth of the history in the Bible. This Jewish scholar lets us know that we can use our minds to investigate the truth. Sometimes we even uh, accuse the scriptures of being so out of date, it's even sometimes called uh, that it is racist or bigotry going on. And you might think that when you read the book of Ezra, when you get into the next section, you'll read about Ezra calling God's people out of a practice that they had had from being in exile of intermarrying with folks from other nations. A couple things to keep in mind about this reality. Difficult text to understand because 
this intermarrying on first blush, you think, wow, it is bigotry. They're t- he's telling them to, to end these marriages. Well, it has nothing to do, what we think it has to do with, it has nothing to do with race. It goes back to that besetting sin, syncretism. Syncretizing people's lives with traditions of other faiths. And this is not a text that is set for all time. It's not prescriptive. It's descriptive of this important moment in history of God's people coming back to the temple, coming back to the Lord to be set apart for just him. How I know that to be true and how I can affirm it is all you have to do, as one pastor put it, is to look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. And you find out right there, as the genealogy is listed of Jews and Gentiles, people of other races and nations in Jesus' genealogy. The example of Ezra's teaching is not an example for marriage today. It's an example of not falling into the besetting sin of syncretism. The truth is, is that God's word, and we even hear it in John 1 in the reading I shared today, it's done by his word, not by the works of the flesh. God led his people back to care for, to investigate and search out his word and to be in his presence, to be a blessing, to help us swim. And that quickly leads us and points us to Jesus. Now, when you... Uh, heard some of those names listed for us in the reading today. Thank you, Kaya, for tackling that. I heard one pastor talk about uh, the names like that, uh, like the credits on a movie. And that made sense to me because in the years that I lived in Los Angeles, uh, I was uh, introduced to the fact that at the end of the movie, people didn't just get up. They stayed and watched the credits. And it As I learned quickly, it wasn't because that they were so much more sophisticated than the rest of us. It's because, and it was true for me after a short time of living there, they knew folks whose names would be listed. And as soon as you know a name, it's significant. You stick around. And so God gives us these names in Ezra for a couple of reasons, not just because these are real people in a real time and place, but also because you notice, by the way, the same listing of names is given to us in 1 Chronicles, but there's more names listed there than here. So why did he pick these names and leave out the others? Because all of the ones listed in Ezra's account, remember, his purpose here isn't just historical, it's theological. And so... They're all part of the line of Aaron, the priestly names. He's letting us know the people who are bringing us back to God's word, bringing us back to God's presence. And when you unpack it even more and uh, realize what those names mean, you, you realize that they mean Yahweh has helped, one name does, or another. Yahweh is prince, or God is my help. Or Yahweh has shown forth. Notice I just shared their meanings and didn't try to pronounce them. But thanks again, Kaya. Um, Yahweh has shown forth. It's pointing us to the one true God. Pointing us 
to the word now made flesh and dwells among us, Jesus. He's inviting us, Ezra is, uh, like that book that we once studied here at Faith, to not just be fans, but followers of Jesus. For a fan looks good on the real, but a follower lives for Jesus in the reality of our lives. We're doers of the word. We're saturated in it. We're swimming in it. And so I ask you today, where are you in God's word? Are you a fan or a follower? Where is your heart set? Is your whole being set on the word of God? Is the word of God impacting your thinking? Is it saturating how you do business, how you spend your money? Are you being blessed and held accountable by a community of believers together coming into his word regularly, encouraging one another and cheering each other on? Is it impacting how you treat your family? Is your whole life ordered around God's word? If not, you might be in danger of floating away or worse yet, sinking. And so if the answer is no or not always or any short of yes, then I have good news for you today, for me, for all of us, that when you come to this table in a few moments, you can receive what he has to offer. Grace upon grace. Come and derosh with the Lord. Come and investigate and search out his word. And you'll discover, as Derek Kidner, the Hebrew scholar, did, that we'll move from an unreality to his reality. And it's not just for pastors, by the way. Ezra was a secretary or scribe in the secular world, first in the Persian court. And then God used those skills of investigation and searching out to come to his holy word, the Torah. It's for all of us. Are you just flapping your arms or are you swimming? Let the Holy Spirit work on you as you come to this table of grace today. God led Ezra back and his people out of exile and took it a step further to come under his word and he's leading you back and me all of us today. What did John, the gospel writer, say? But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And what did he do? His word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt could be translated there properly, tabernacled or templed. His presence dwelled with us. He's bringing us back through his word to God's very presence. We hear in Ezra 7 that the gracious hand of God was upon Ezra. But now I tell you, the gracious hand of God is upon you. He's tabernacling. His presence is dwelling with you. And we receive here today to be this gift of his word and sacrament to be doers of his word in the real of life that we live. So let this time of communion today be a time of a new beginning, a return from exile for you. Come repenting. God's not just throwing you in the deep end without anything. He's with you and his word is there. 
So move from the unreality of the world that you made to the world that God has made and saturated in his word. His grace is upon you so that you can truly swim for God's word does everything. Amen.